and welcome to the Smarter Building podcast powered by Symmetry. On today's show, we'll be talking about something a little bit different to our usual, and that's the world of remote working. Since COVID, remote working started to make its way into many industries, even some of those where working from home would have previously been seen as maybe impossible, like construction. For instance, we saw the rise of technologies like visual project progress tracking, which removes the physical need for project managers to be on site full time. Now, whilst remote working offers many obvious benefits to the environment, etc., it also has its downsides in a constantly evolving digital era. So today, we're joined by Richard McGuinness from HP, who has seen firsthand how businesses have successfully implemented and adopted remote working infrastructures and what they can perhaps look like for the architecture, engineering and construction industry specifically. So welcome, Richard. It's great to have you. Thank you. Thank you, Nicole. Thanks to Symmetry and thanks for the invitation. No problem. So based on that intro, is there are there any initial thoughts on what we have just touched on? Oh, it's a big subject, isn't it? <laughs> it's a massive. It's, it's, uh, it's probably one of the biggest changes probably in, in most of the workforces over the last number of years. Obviously, you know, I'm quite old now. I've always been to work Monday to Friday in offices and the way I always used to work. And and the technology was, was, was it was always very difficult to work from home. You know, data, how do I move my data to, from where it is to home, for example? How do the user, how do I know? How do I know the guys are actually doing their work? So there's a lot, there were a lot of different things around those, uh, those type of things. But obviously, COVID has, has, has obviously dramatically changed things. But the good thing these days is, you know, I think a number of years ago, trying to replicate what you had in the office at home was extremely difficult. Now the task is kind of around the other way. How do I replicate the setup I have at home and have that in the office? And the good news is we've got we've got answers for both of them. So, um, but it's uh, definitely a, cha- a, a very much a, a moving target and a changing landscape. So it's um, yeah, I mean, for technology companies, that's 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 a good opportunity for us. So um, it's yeah. yeah, we're in the right place, which is good. And before we delve any deeper into that topic, um, could you just introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a bit about your background, professionally and personally? <laughs> you don't want to know the personal stuff. I'm from Essex, so there's probably you know there'll be too much there. But you know, professionally, I've had I've been very fortunate. I um I've, I've been at HP for seven years now. Um, so I work for the what was known as the ACS team, the Advanced Compute Specialist team. So my job is just talking to end users. That's a great thing. Um, I get to do I look after kind of manufacturing, media, as and uh, as well as architecture. Um, before HP. I spent you know, 25 years working in uh, post-production and film. So um, working at Pinewood Studios uh, for a company called Avid um, and uh, working in both the reseller space as well as the software manufacturer space. So I did a lot of work in 3D, so things like the, the Potter films and so forth. So I've uh, been involved in, in media and VFX for a lot, of, uh, a lot of that time. And then around about 20 years ago, uh, started to get involved in architecture as uh, architectural visualization was starting to take off. So you know, taking CG images, single camera, fly-throughs, giving clients an idea about what their space will look like. And, you know, now we're seeing the merging of those two industries. So for me, on a on a, on a personal level, it's great because I'm able to, um, you know, advise customers on some of the techniques that have been used in film and and also vice versa in some instances as well. So it's uh, it's a nice thing to be in. So I'm very lucky. I've, uh, I've been doing this for 
30 odd years now so i've been very fortunate um been around the world obviously with the with the, the film in uh, the film industry um and it's really nice to see you know you know when I'm, not my hometown london is not my hometown but if you look around the building i'm in now the building that uh, all the buildings that are around liverpool street and around the city um We've got some lovely buildings here as well. It's just nice to be involved in in kind of both sides of it. In that industry, yes. Did you say you'd been involved in some of the Potter films, did I hear? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, obviously I used to look as work as a consultant to all of the, the big visual effects companies. So that's building out big render farms, big storage infrastructures, as well as the workstations and the applications that are used. I used to work for one of the uh, the big 3D applications back in the day, which was a product called Soft Image. So that was used on all the all the big films. So um, you know, I was I was there uh, at, very much at the start and and was um, and only only recently left there kind of seven years ago to come and work with uh, come and work at HP. So quite quite a difference in industry then I guess and so what kind of drew you to yeah the architecture and uh manufacturing sort of side? Well, I started off dealing with uh, with Foster and Partners. So, um, you know, Foster, Foster's had um, a, a head of visualization, a, a very good friend of mine, Gamma Basra, who was really interested to see how you could take film techniques and then move them across into the architectural visualization space. So he, you know, was very much a... a, 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 a founder of kind of, or not founder, I would say, sorry, just someone that was really interested to know how film works. Obviously, I got to know him uh, very well. And then, you know, the great thing was I could introduce him to people in the film industry that actually maybe could, you know, at the end of the day, as opposed to it being a, you know, a furry character flying through the through the air, it's a building, and that building may or may not even be there at the moment. So, it's kind of using those film techniques, you know, back in the day, going up in, uh, in helicopters to actually film the site where the new building is going to be, um, and then going through the change, you know, much like you would in film, you know, most of those characters aren't real and they're not really there. Um, and it, it was nice to be involved at the very early stages with uh, a very forward-thinking company that they. Were. Um, and then that just that kind of then by default lends you know leads you to other opportunities. You get introduced to other people, um, and just you know it becomes uh, quite granular because you, you, you're kind of working with lots of different people in that area. Excellent. Sounds good fun. Good fun. I can imagine. Yeah. And um, so we've personally seen that HP have been ramping up their efforts around remote working solutions. Would you say you've seen a higher demand for solutions to suit this in the AEC industry more recently? And maybe what has actually caused this? Sure. Um, well, we've had it for a long time, believe it or not. So a lot of the, you know, we used to sell up, uh, we used to have a product that shipped with every workstation called Remote Boost. Uh, it's been that had been around for ten years, and it had been utilised a lot in the in the film industry, especially because they moved to what we call centralised their workstations a long time ago. That was means in effect put their, all their workstations into racks, either put them in their own data centre or a third party data centre. So really, that's the start of centralisation. Um, they you know, used it for different reasons. Obviously, we weren't in a COVID world there. That was just the fact that they could have their compute very, very close to their storage, which could be very, very close to their network infrastructure. So giving everybody speed improvements. Since COVID, obviously, we've seen a huge spike in that. Um, you know, one of the reasons behind it is that not every single person's in the office five days a week. So, you know, 
some customers are, are, are insisting that they, their people are in a couple of days a week, cover a little bit more flexible. And it's going to be an interesting one to see how all businesses do that in the future because, you know, there will be a, 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 a drive for more and more people to work from home because obviously it suits potentially their, their lifestyle a lot better. Um, there will be people that want to be in the office. And I think as a business, that's the challenge. You know, how do I give them that same experience in the office and at home? So what we can do, you know, with what we would consider a remote working style setup, you know, a centralized computer uh, and so forth is give that same experience to the user. And from a data perspective, not being any danger that, you know, the data stays in one place. We're not moving data around. We're just moving pixels. So, you know, that's the simplicity of, of the systems is that, you know, if I'm working at home and I'm working on a big file, the file still resides within my company's network. It's not on, it's not on my computer at home. So, you know, it, that's the good thing about, about this. That means your users can actually be anywhere. And I guess that kind of relates a lot to the construction industry because they're, they're having to work on loads of big files and sharing data around. Um, so it's really key for them to have that experience of sharing it from the office out into the field. So are there any examples that you could touch on around that side of things in the construction or architecture industry a bit more? Yeah, sure. I mean, I've got a machine here. I mean, I've got a workstation here. No? <laughs> That's a machine. So this is my favorite little machine in the world because the reason being is that um, I've been around a long time and I've carried lots of workstations, <laughs> Nicole. Um, this one, I can put three of them in a rucksack. So it's quite yeah. nice. Where, so, you know, this is this, this is a machine called a Z2 Mini. Uh, we've done very well with Symmetry, working with uh, customers like Bride and Woods, with customers like Chapman BDSP. Um, this is a Revit workstation. So... With these styles of machines, you can see it's not very big. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. Because it's not very big, we can centralize it very easy. We can put it in a rack. We could put it on the back of a screen. We can put it in lots and lots of different places. And that's been something that we've really um, has appealed to architectural companies, especially because we have a sustainability message within there as well. And it's not a sustainability message that you would ordinarily consider as being a sustainability message. Often We often look at things like plastics and cardboard and all of those types of things. This device is more about the amount of physical power it takes. Mm -hmm. you know, it takes probably a third of the power that a traditional desk side workstation would take. So, you know, what the architects have really liked about that is that message there that we're, you know, we can drive the same compute and graphics power for, a, you know, a third of the physical power. So the users are not losing anything in terms of their overall performance. The business is gaining a lot because obviously their you know, power is expensive. And if we also can cut uh, the amount of power we use, and you know that's a better situation to be in for everybody. The other thing they like is to say that experience that those machines can be held within either their own building. They could move them to a third-party data center. We can manage them really easily. You know, very simply managed. Um, we have a product called the Anywhere RSC controller which gives customers the ability to, to manage all of those machines in Iraq through a single pane of glass interface. So again, even if you're, remember, if your users are remote, sometimes your IT guys can be remote as well. So it's not always going to be the easiness, the, the simplicity for them to come in and fix a machine that traditionally was under a desk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, By moving them into a data center, either your own or a third party one, again, we can, we can, have these machines remotely managed as well. 
So it does really create a lot of uh, opportunity. And I think one of the big things for the construction industry is the ability to get more and more people on projects quicker, maybe, um, but also to expand the project. When you're in a tradition, you know, pre-COVID, if we had, um, if I could fit 500 people in my building, that's all I could fit in, even if I have a project for, that it required more. With this type of workflow, I could still have my 500 people in the building, but I could also have 500 people remotely. So, you know, actually you can grow your business as well. And the restrictions are not there. The data is going to be secure. We're going to give the the users um, really good performance. And as I say, all that we're going to be moving to the user working from home are just purely pixels rather than data. Yeah, I was just about to touch on sort of, yeah, more project type work, but I think you sort of covered it there. Does that does, <laughs> does that differ any in any way because they're on like shorter time scales or how does it work in in terms of that sort of agility? Yeah, really. I mean, we you know what we can do these days is to say a customer could have three different sets of of, of computer, if you like, or what we would call user persona. So maybe a Revit user, a 3ds Max user, um, and maybe a Twin Motion user. Um, and we can have those those kind of tiers of workstations still within those racks. And then we use something called a brokering system. And that brokering, the brokering system can just say, today I'm on that little machine you saw there, the Z2 Mini. But that might not be powerful enough for me for everything that I need to do um, this afternoon, as an example. And what we can do within brokering is very easily tap on me as a username, tap on the machine that's available and can click and connect me to it. Mm-hmm. So I've not moved, but actually in the background, my computer has changed. Yeah. So, you know, giving the power to the user when they need it, as opposed to maybe giving it to them all of the time. And it's something that the film industry does a lot with. Um, and again, you know, that ability to um, for users in, in, in different locations as well, to maybe use that powerful machine. So maybe I have this powerful machine in London. I've got a user in Newcastle. You know, the old way would be to ship the machine up to them in Newcastle for them to use it. Now, very simply, by just using remote some remote protocols, I can now connect to that machine very quickly and very easily. Excellent. And you touched on um, twin motion there, and it leads on to sort of the next point. So I think you mentioned before the kind of synergies between the media world and now the AEC world in terms of visualization. Is there anything you could maybe expand on or that you can kind of see coming up in, in the future on that? kind of thing definitely uh you know i I think the aec industry is really is really moving forward quickly certainly with the amount of uh um applications now such as twin motion twin motion is really skyrocketing uh in terms of its install base um obviously vr ar you know they're subjects that have been around and, and utilized a lot but i see things like virtual production i see things like um, material scanners, you know, those type of things starting to come in more and more and more because I think the power of the image is such a good thing. And also for both clients, for planning, for all those elements, you think you can take that one image and you reutilize it in a lot of different ways. And as I say, you know, in the olden days, what we did was we created, a, you know, a walkthrough, which was almost a throwaway item at the end of it. You couldn't really do much with it. Nowadays, that data that you're starting off, that the architects are using, just gets reutilized and reutilized more and more. Um, I've seen architects going up in helicopters, as I mentioned earlier, to do shoots of particular areas so that we could show you where, the, you know, what the area was like pre the building, what it's going to look like, and then when it comes back down again afterwards. So I think 
the visualization element is getting more and more like film. So, um, and I think now, and that is, and that pushes the demand kind of down the stack a little bit more. So, you know, it, it can't always be done in visualization because you'll always be waiting for the viz team. I think now and now the graphics are getting better and better at the at the base level, and products like Twin Motion are pushing that up even further. Whereas I think traditionally that would be something that you would send out to another company to have done on your behalf, maybe to a post production house. Yeah, there was a lot of synergy between post-production houses and architects because maybe the architect team didn't quite have the, the size of visualization team that they needed to deliver a project. So they would take it to a post-production house. And I think now you're seeing more and more of this type of work being done internally. Um, virtual production, I say, I think is a big one. That'll be in, I'll be really interested to see. Uh, I've already worked on one project which was utilizing virtual production with real props. So they had a real uh, example of a staircase, how this staircase would look in a particular building, but they were using a virtual production set to show the the actual building, what the building's gonna look like. So I think more and more we'll see more of that because say from a location perspective, from uh, from a visualizer, say we can take all that data that's been created and then just move it across into a virtual production set. And so that's a really interesting one for me. Excellent. And I think you've probably just touched on this, but are there <laughs> any um, sort of exemplary like examples that, um, you know, you touched on having that same experience outside of the office out into um, at home? What are there any examples from any other industries that are really doing this well? Yeah, media is the first one. So obviously in London, you know, London's fortunate that we have some of the best architects in the world and we have some of the best media production companies in the world. Um, you know, lucky for me, you know, it's on my doorstep. So it, it's fantastic. Um, the media industry, for, for sure, um, you know, for those, obviously during COVID, media, you know, we more and more content was created, was needed. The industry itself was very heavily regulated because you can imagine you don't need any releases of images going out early before, you know, there was a Sony hack many years ago and a film was, was ruined and that cost a lot of money. So there was always a little bit of a resistance in the industry for people to work from home on very high, high budget projects. Um, we needed consent during COVID. Some of those restrictions started to drop. And actually what we've seen, what we had seen pre the writer's strike, obviously, because that's slightly changed things, but pre writer's strike, you were seeing companies actually expand rather than contract. And, uh, you know, as I say, that limitation that they had previously on their, their building space, the amount of desks they had, because they had now centralized their compute, they had remote users working, we could, they could take on users from anywhere. And and that really did help them. I think previously you were reliant on people that lived in the UK, had all the qualifications to work in, in, in the UK. There was the element of travel, all those types of things. You know, London's not a cheap place to, to, to travel around. And um, and what was happening was, you know, um, I think they were losing some of these these uh, these potential users. Um, with this type of setup nowadays, as I say, my user can be anywhere. Yeah. And, you know, what we have in a lot of instances is some of the big post-production houses is machines that are used in London um, from, you know, nine till five are great. And then at five till five till 12, they're used in L.A. Mm -hmm. Same machine. The machine hasn't moved. So it's just being flexible with your IP. Um, there are so many good reasons to centralize to to give people potential speed improvements on their network, because if you think about it, you're not having to recable the whole floor. Yeah. 
if you put your machines into a machine room. So there are a lot of advantages to do it. And I think that um, the media industry is one of the, the closest ones. I've seen it in manufacturing. Uh, again, that centralized, that remote work, because they don't want to restrict themselves to the people that they, because, you know, competition, the world's a competitive place. And if I have competition and they see that I'm saying I need my work and my, my designers in five days a week, and uh, my competition says, well, actually, you only have to come in a day a week, then they've already got an advantage against you. So I think employers have to be a little bit flexible. There are always going to be some projects due to the nature of them that would have to be kind of very secret and maybe have to have that style of workforce. But again, we can make sure that that data is is secure anyway and push those pixels to those users. So as I say, it's going to be an interesting one going forward. But uh, the other thing that customers can do is they can look at the size of their own buildings and decide, well, actually, do we need this bigger building? Can we, could we maybe go into different locations or so forth? It gives you a lot, a lot of flexibility um, going forward. And you just touched on um, manufacturing industry there. Are there any key differences you've seen from your experience between how they operate in terms of remote working um, when compared with AEC? Yeah, yeah, not, they don't like it. <laughs> um, you know, there's yeah, again a manufacturer depends if you've got the actual plant where you're working or you're designing. So I I deal with various different manufacturers, and, and there was one that mandated them all to be back in the office five days a week. You know, it's a difficult situation. I think it depends on your job role. Um, obviously, if you're in a manufacturing, um, if you're a designer working for some type of car manufacturer or, or truck or so forth, I think you're, you're very much like an AEC user, very much like a media user using a CAD application. I think that's less of an issue. If you're working on the actual production line, it's going to be a bit more difficult. Yeah. So I think manufacturing and also, defense comes under that as well, uh, are two of the industries that, you know, a little bit more traditional. I think if you looked at the defense market segment, you know, customers like BAE, they make submarines. You're not going to be able to generally, you know, that is very top secret information. So I think there's always going to be a reluctance against change. So, but we'll see. We'll see. I think, again, goes back to the, the other scenario. I think if more and more people, more and more employees offer future employees a bit more flexibility in the way they're going to work, it might change some of the others. Is there anything more you think um, these industries can do to kind of encourage it? Or is it the fact that they don't know about the infrastructure that's needed? What, what do you think it is that scares people around it? I think the difficult, you know, from a technology standpoint, I, you know, the good thing is I can deliver the same performance to your desktop whether you're in the office or out the office. So I think that bit's very, you know, pretty easy. I can also show you, uh, you know, a pathway. Hopefully that, you know, that you'll be able to follow to follow for a number of years from your te- from your technology infrastructure's perspective. I think the difficulty is uh, outside of that is we all don't know, you know, how long leases are held for, what this is held for, the business things that come in there, and I think. That's that's something that you know that a lot of us are, are not aware of. Um, you know, business may have taken a lease for ten years on a property and so forth, so they have to make that return, otherwise they can have a significant loss there. But I think from the technology standpoint, the good thing is I can we can give you that same performance wherever you are and pretty much wherever you are in the world as well. Um, you know, this is you know not restricted to you know in country. We know from some testing that we've done recently with a data center is we can ping as far as Germany from a UK 
Base data center. Of course, it matters a lot what the what the guy is doing down the other end. Yeah, but also think about another way is that one of the first things that goes into a construction site is uh, is an internet connection. It's so important, so fundamental for everything from stock to deliveries to people. Um, so you know what we could have is that scenario where the guy is on site with something like a Chromebook looking at the drawings of something that's going to happen, and actually that data and that machine is in in their building. So you know. If he lost it, his car got broken into, you know, all of those things that, that may or may not happen, um, you know, leaving it down, leaving it in a rucksack and down the pub or something, which has often happened, doesn't it? I think, I think you have to be in the government to be able to do that, though, don't you? Uh, but, you know, it has happened or, or just drop it. Imagine you just mm. dropped it and, and broke it, for example. Um, so I think there's going to be changing, changing workflows and, and how people do it. But I think, each company is going to be slightly different, and I think each company will be. Oh, the lights! Yeah, the lights are on it. Yeah, there we go. Uh, and each company is. Uh, let's see. That we do sustainability um, lighting as and it goes off after a certain time. Perfect if you're not timing. moving. <laughs> Perfect timing. Yeah. Um, so I think it's going to differ. I think you know each company will differ, and I think there is a lot to be said for collaborative working. But there's also a lot to be said for productivity. So I think it's going to be interesting to see where we are in two years, I think, Nicole. And just touching on something else you sort of mentioned to, to me earlier, um, in terms of robots, and I think you shared us a little robot in your office. <laughs> yeah. It's stuff like, I know you mentioned things like that was kind of used a lot during COVID. What about yeah. things like that in now in today's hybrid world? Could things like that, do you think in two years' time you say, would we see more robotics and things like that out in on sites and stuff like that in terms of infrastructure and uh, data? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I'm not. I, I'm not sure myself. Um, you know, we use the robots here for things like showing people around the the customer demo centres and things because obviously people, you know, we can always send sell, send you spec sheets and spec sheets are great. But you can't look at a spec sheet. It doesn't give you a, a kind of it's it's a bit more difficult. And even though we had the uh, the ro- uh, the robot here had a really good camera on it, you can actually show people the devices a little bit mm. better. So the nice thing was we we were able to do that during uh, during lockdown. It was a little bit of a gimmick. Um, it was quite funny, um, you know. Um, but at the same time, it kind of it just helped us. It helps us with certain customers in certain situations. I mean, obviously, you look at the world of warehousing nowadays, there's a lot of robotics in warehousing. There's a lot of robotics coming in everywhere. So, um, you know, where we'll be in two years' time, I'm not sure, but the, 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 the pace of development is strong, isn't it? So we'll see where we're at there. All right. Excellent. And um, so as we wrap up, is there any exciting developments or upcoming projects that our listeners should be on the lookout for from HP? Or you personally? <laughs> always, always. So, you know, there'll be a lot coming out next year. We're just, uh, you know, we're just about to launch a number of new AMD platforms. So really high, high core count machines. Uh, we're about to, the little machine I just showed you just now is about to get a new upgrade uh, to it in the next month or so. And that's where I was this morning at an architect showing them it um, and looking at benchmarking and, and so forth. Um, so um, there's also uh, a number of, kind of on-demand projects that are on the go at the moment, which uh, are not going to be released, uh, not released just yet. Um, there might be some scanning projects. There might be, there's, there's quite a lot going to be coming in the next period of time. Um, you know, from a hardware perspective, it, yeah, from a hardware perspective, it's pretty exciting. It's, uh, 
Um, you know, through my career, when I started, you know, thought of having a 96 core CPU in a, in a workstation was something you never dreamed of. And the reality is they're here now. So, you know, there's those type of things. But, you know, it's constantly moving. It's constantly evolving. Uh, we've got Intel and AMD in the, in the CPU world, which are um, obviously there's good competition there. So that means that, that the actual customer is going to get a better product, which is a good thing. NVIDIA doing lots of good things in and around graphics cards. We're doing lots of good things around making our computers smaller and smaller and smaller mm -hmm. so that we can you know, get them a, a, a lot more dense machines in what we call per U or per rack space. Um, we already own the protocol to send, uh, send the pixels to the endpoint. We're doing a lot around manageability and so forth as well. So, yeah, there's a lot coming. There's a lot, a coming. lot coming. We'll have to catch up again in two years' time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll be a robot then. <laughs> With a really silly haircut. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it'll be a robot here, not me. Yeah. It'll be Richard be in AI, cool. a robotic yeah. AI. So, yeah. 100%. Yeah, do what the writers are doing, Nicole. You know, sign, make sure you're on your contract says, my, my digital image is me, is mine. Because <laughs> 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 we could be two robots talking to each other in a few years' time. I wouldn't be surprised, honestly. <laughs> But yeah, any any last sort of points before we um, wrap this up? I would just say from from my perspective, seeing media, seeing AEC, seeing a lot of the different markets there, AEC is certainly in the UK is a big, big market for us. So I think it's a big market for both of us. So I'm really genuinely excited about, um, you know, the next two or three years in that segment and see how well remote working, you know, where we are in three years time. I think I think we know the answers, but it'll be good to know if we are right. Um, but having said that, I think still there's a lot to lot of opportunity out there with um, from from construction to housing to buildings and so forth. I think it's um, it's a good industry to be in. I think it's an industry that, adop that adopts technology, which is great. Um, so let's see where we are in a few years' time. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Richard. Great insights. And um, yeah, we'll look forward to catching up with you in a few years from our AI uh, virtual reality bodies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully then I get, get, get my lights won't still keep, keep going off, will they? <laughs> that so, won't be an uh, issue ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Lovely. Thank, thank you. you. For, uh, thank you for inviting me and thank you for your time.